Well, good morning, church. Man, that is fantastic. I need to just almost catch my breath for a moment. Man, that was so great and energetic. You guys sounded great from backstage. It was awesome. Hey, in case we haven't had a chance to meet before, my name's Will Pinnell, and I have the honor of serving here as senior minister. And um, I'm glad that you guys are here to worship with us this morning. It's an honor to be here myself to bring the word of the Lord this morning. And it is just such a good day to be in the house of the Lord. If this is your first time or if you've been coming for just a couple weeks and you want to get involved and more plugged in, I want to encourage you to text the, the word welcome to this phone number on the screen. And it's just a great way to connect with us and, and get plugged in, find out more about life groups because we believe we are in community with each other and we have to be in community with each other to survive and to thrive in this Christian walk and this faith that we build our foundation on Christ. And this is that sermon series that we've been in for the last couple weeks as we're continuing it today. We're talking about building faith. We're talking about doctrines and theology, and we're talking about um, these core pieces of faith that form the foundation. And a couple weeks ago, we started by talking about those core essentials, essential aspects of faith. What are, what are the pieces of faith that we all have in common with Christians across the globe? That we believe in one God, that Jesus is fully God, fully man. He physically died, he physically rose from the dead, and, and salvation, the gift of salvation and the forgiveness of sins and the Spirit of God in our life, that is a free gift that we don't earn or deserve. And so since then, we've, we've been kind of building upon that, and as we use this illustration of a house, we start then to move up to, to doctrines and supporting walls and pieces of our faith that Maybe there's a little bit of room for some interpretation and for some discussion. And unfortunately, when it comes to doctrines and theology, we do our best with the word of God that we have here. But there's no way of knowing this fully and completely until we see God face to face. And so what happens is sometimes we get so firm about our beliefs and our doctrines and our, and our faith that it ends up building walls between us and other Christians instead of bringing us together. And so we wanted to start the sermon series with, with, with what is the firm, the, the common foundation that we all have, that we can call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and now as we move into these different doctrines, what I want to avoid is saying, here's what we believe and here's what other people believe and here's how we're right and they're wrong. And, and I don't want to build walls. I simply want to talk about what we believe as Christians, as a church, what we believe and where we see this in Scripture. And so as I looked at all the different doctrines that we could cover, I landed on a couple where I saw a common theme. And I think they're important and they're, they're important for us to talk about. And, and I saw this common theme, and I'm just, I'm just calling it doctrine of the heart. And I'm not sure this is an unofficial doctrine that you'll see in any theology book or in any seminary course or anything like that. But we're going to hit on some different theologies and doctrines as we, as we talk about the heart. Because it's clear as we look in the Old Testament and the New Testament how important and how much value God puts on our hearts. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart, some say. Because the heart is so crucially important. And so there's three pieces to our heart that I want to talk about this morning and then then we're going to talk about another doctrine as we wrap things up and we bring it all together today. So the first piece of our heart and the doctrine of our heart is, is obedience. 
It's obedience, and, and this is one that I, I think makes just a lot of sense regardless of, of who you believe in, regardless of what faith you belong to. If we, if we recognize a God that, that created everything, I mean, we, we should obey and want to follow and do what that God says, right? And, and especially when it comes to Christianity, this is what we see in the Word of God. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You know, if we only hear the word of God, if we only come to church and hear what is preached from the pulpit, if we read the word of God and we hear it, we digest it, and we never do it, then we can deceive ourselves into thinking we have a relationship with God, into thinking we're good in our faith, into thinking we're in an okay place. But if we never do it, then do we really recognize this book as authoritative? Do we really recognize God as authoritative? He says to do something, then why, why, why wouldn't we, we do it? But there is this tendency within our faith, I, I see it within myself, where there are things in Scripture that, frankly, I, doesn't make sense. And I don't, if it's okay to say, I don't even like sometimes. But because God has told us to do it, then, then I do it to the best of my ability. I think the easiest example of this potentially is, is when it comes to giving and tithing. And the standard in the Old Testament was set at 10%. And Jesus talks more about money and generosity and giving than any other topic in Scripture. And when I was in high school and worked at Chick-fil-A, and my paycheck was $200, and a tenth of that is 20 bucks, that's not a big deal. I can do that. I don't have a house payment. I don't have to put a ton of gas in my car. I don't have, you know, insurances to pay for out the wazoo. And there's, there's not a lot. I, I, can, I can do 20 bucks. My first ministry job, I was in college, and I was being paid $300 a week to go up to the small country church and preach on the weekends, and it was a fantastic year and a half that I did that, and 30 bucks out of 300, that's, that's not a big deal. And then I had a full-time youth ministry gig, $25,000, $26,000 a year, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is a lot of money. <laughs> this is a lot of money now, and I mean, it's, it's not, but to me at the time, this was a lot of money. And I have to tithe how much of this? I'll be honest, guys, there are some times that there's not a warm, bubbly feeling in my heart to see this money leave my bank account. But I believe so, so deeply in God's command to tithe. And I believe I've seen the benefits of that time and time again, that it's still something I do. And I might not always be joyous about it the way I should be. But because I love God because I have a relationship with God. It's not the matter of the heart that's so joyful, but it's a matter of the heart of I love God so deeply that I'm going to obey what he tells me to do. And sometimes that's easier than others. Sometimes I feel like we look at the list of things that we're supposed to do, and we're just like, God, I'm going to do these over here, but these over here I don't like, I don't agree with, I'm just not sure about. It's a little harder to do, so I'm not going to do them. And we kind of separate the things that we're told to do in scriptures. And, and these I'm going to do and these I'm not. These, these are going to make me look like I'm still a Christian. I'm still going to feel like I'm a Christian. Other people will still think I'm a Christian if I do these. But these that are really more of a matter of the heart. These that really nobody else will see. Nobody will know. I'm not sure I'm ready to do that quite yet. And we tend to separate it. Here's the truth about it though, church. It's not based on what we do. 
Right? We talked a couple weeks ago. That salvation, forgiveness, the gift of the Spirit, it's a free gift from God. We don't have to do certain things to get that or to keep that. God's never going to say, hey, because you haven't done X, Y, and Z, I'm going to take this away from you. I'm going to take away my forgiveness. I'm going to take away salvation. He's never going to remove the gift that he's freely given because it wasn't based on us in the first place. But there should be a desire in our heart to obey him. Jesus says in John 15, 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Acts 5, 29, but Peter and the apostle Apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. 1 John 5, 3, he says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. There's this command that we see throughout Scripture to keep the commandments of God and obey what he tells us to do. Not because our salvation is dependent on it, but because it's about relationship. This is the second part of the doctrine of the heart that's so important is that it's all about relationship and us actually wanting to be in a relationship with God, us actually desiring to be in relationship with God. I see this direct correlation between the level of relationship in our life between us and God and the level of obedience. And the more we actually want to be in relationship with God, we actually want God and not just what he has to offer, the more obedient that we tend to be. But it's not about obedience. I think one of the most terrifying passages in all of Scripture is from Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus says to his disciples, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If this passage doesn't make your heart sink a little bit, then I don't know what will. Because there's going to be a day that many people stand before Jesus and they acknowledge him. Jesus, Jesus, Lord, Lord, I recognize that you are God. And he's going to say, not everyone who just says that is going to be in the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father and then there will be some and many who say, Jesus, but we, we did that. In your name, we cast out demons. In your name, we prophesied. In your name, we did all these amazing big things. And he's going to look at them and say, who are you? I, I never knew you. I, I never had a relationship with you. you. You did a lot of things, and you might have done them in my name, but... I don't know you. And if I'm one of those people, my heart's going to sink like it's never sunk before. So it's not about what we do. It's about being in a relationship with God. This is why Jesus came, so that we could know him, be in relationship with him in a unique way that this didn't happen in the Old Testament. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 2. I love, love this passage. It's one of my favorites. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12 says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one 
comprehends the thoughts of God, except the Spirit of God. And now we have not received, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. No one knows your thoughts but you. The spirit that is within you, I I don't know what you're thinking in this moment, but your spirit does, and that's the spirit. It's the same way with God. That spirit of God knows the heart of God, the thoughts of God, the things of God, and that's the spirit that Jennifer got this morning. That's the spirit that we receive when we accept the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus in the act of baptism. That's the spirit that comes inside of us so that we can know God. We can know the thoughts of God. We can know the heart of God. We can be in relationship with God, all of this, so that we can know him. And Jesus says, this is what I want, church. I want to be in relationship with you. And the more we desire relationship, the more we'll be obedient. Graham is at this fantastically, wonderfully frustrating phase right now where he says no to everything. And it used to be that like, he just said no because this was the only word he knew. He heard it so much. This was the first word he said. It was the only word he knew for so long. He would just say it to everything. But now he knows what the word no means. Graham, you need to clean up your blocks. No. No, Graham, I mean, seriously, you, you need to clean up your box, blocks. It's time, time for bed. No. Boy, say no one more time. No. <laughs> kind of got to laugh because I told him to say no. He said no, and I, I kind of turned away because it's not good to laugh and think it's funny. You know, it is incredibly frustrating when he says no and refuses to be obedient as he should. But if he turns 16, 17, 18 years old and he doesn't want a relationship with me, if he goes off to college or whatever he does after high school and says, Dad, I just... I'm not coming home for Thanksgiving, for Christmas. I don't, I don't want to be here at all. That would break my heart. And some of you might know that feeling all too well. And you probably also know that there's nothing that you can do to keep your child in relationship with you if that's not what they want. You can try to do the Gilmore Girls style, hold something over their head for Friday night dinners or Saturday night dinners, and, and, and you can try to do something to force them into relationship, but that's not relationship. It's obligation. It's trying to get something, but it's not relationship. And in a similar way, church, God's never going to take our salvation away. But if we don't want to be in a relationship with him, he's not going to force us. If we choose, God, I'm not sure I can do this right now. This season of life is just too hard. I'm not sure. And we, we take a step away from God. He's not going to force us to stay with him. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about predestination and and God has predestined us as adoption as his sons through the blood of Jesus on the cross. Well, it's not those that he's predestined as adoption that happened before the foundations of the world, but it was the fact that he predestined Jesus to go to the cross. Because he knew, he knew 
That the only way to truly be in relationship with us is that if he gave us the free will to choose to say yes or to choose to say no. And he knew that the only way, the only way that he could make it right was that if he sent his son to die on a cross to give us the opportunity to say yes. Many think that this idea of free will, that's, that's actually the reason why God put this tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. So that every single day when Adam and Eve walked by it, they'd have to make a choice. Do we actually want to obey and follow and have a relationship with God or not? And every day when we wake up, we face the same decision. There might not be a tree in the middle of our bedroom that's forcing us to make that decision that's in our face the way that that tree was for them. But every day we wake up, we say, am I going to choose today to follow God? Or am I going to choose to take a step back? And he's not going to force us to stay if we don't want to. Because you can't force someone to love you. This is that third piece of the doctrine of the heart. It's this idea of love. This idea of love. Jesus, when he was asked what the greatest commandments of the Old Testament were, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So with every fiber of your being, with, with the physical, with your strength, with, with the mental, with your mind, with your soul and your spirit, with every fiber that you have, you love God. And then love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you have seen TV show Parks and Rec? You have a few Parks and Rec, a couple people. Okay, Well, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail, but there's a couple characters in there that every so often they have a treat yourself day. And they go out and money is no object. They just buy whatever they want to buy. They treat themselves. They call it treat yourself day. And it's a lot of fun for them. And I think we have this mentality sometimes, at least I know I do, where I want to treat myself. It's been a long day, so on the way home from work, I'm going I'm to go get some ice cream. It's been a long week, and I just don't feel like cooking. We're going to go out to eat and I, I deserve this. I've earned this. It's not going to be no fast food Chick-fil-A. We're going to go down to like the good restaurant and I'm going to treat myself. And we want to treat ourselves. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Okay. But when it comes to loving other people, sometimes we have this mentality of what's the least I can do to help them. And we don't have the same treat yourself mentality for other people as we do ourselves. But Jesus says the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so treat themselves like you want to treat yourself. <laughs> and maybe instead of, uh, I've heard people talk about before keeping like a $5 gift card to McDonald's or something for people standing on the side of the street asking for money. Well, maybe instead of $5 to McDonald's, what if you put a $50 card to Applebee's? What if you treated them as you want to be treated? And it's not just the random person or our friends or certain people. Luke 6, 27, Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good for those who hate you. 
It's even the people we don't get along with. There's this beautiful story that Jesus tells about um, a Jew who's going along the path and he's beaten up and everything is taken from him and, and other Jewish leaders then come by and they're busy. They don't want to be ceremonially unclean. They just go on around. But the Samaritan, he stops. And Jews and Samaritans, they didn't get along. They, they butted heads often. And, and this would have been their enemy. But he stopped and he used his own resources he took his time, and he spent his money on this man. Those three things that we hold nearest and dearest, our possessions, our time, our money, is what he used for someone that, by the world, he hated. That had this big conflict with, and he, he took his time, he used his possessions, and he, he spent his money on this person. And this has to be a key part of our heart when we come into relationship with God. 1 John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And brother here is not just referring to people within the church, within the faith community, brothers and sisters in Christ. No, no. You cannot say, I hate this other person and say you love God. And this love is that we're to have with others is to be a love that's above and beyond. That's the kind of love that we love ourselves with when we want to treat ourselves. And that's the kind of love, that's the kind of heart that Jesus had when he came to this world. It was a heart of obedience before God who he was willing to come down, but that moment came when, when Jesus was going to the cross and he said, God, not my will, but yours. If there's any other way to do this, then please, please let that happen. And, and there was this moment that he chose obedience because he was in relationship with the Father. He wanted us to be in relationship with him. He prayed desperately that we'd be in relationship and in unity with each other. And it was all from a place of love. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Church, this is the heart that brought Jesus to this world. And this ties in so beautifully with the other, other piece that I'd like to talk about this morning. And this is, that is this doctrine of communion. We celebrate communion every, every week, and, and too often we don't give it, even still, the attention that it deserves when Jesus was with his disciples before he was crucified, they were celebrating the Jewish festival of, of Passover. It was a celebration and recognition of what God had done for Israel years ago and bringing them up out of slavery in Egypt. And every year they remember God's deliverance, his, his saving Israel through this, this festival of Passover. And it was during Passover that Jesus did something different. And in Luke 22... It says that he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. I really wish we knew what the disciples were thinking in that moment. Now, my guess, my assumption is that they had no clue what Jesus was talking about. This was not the first time that Jesus said something that didn't make sense to them. 
Jesus spoke in parables and later would explain it to the disciples. And my guess is that they didn't understand what was happening, and I'm pretty sure they quickly forgot about it. Think about the events of that week. Immediately following this, Jesus was arrested. Over the next couple days, he was on trial. He was beaten, flogged, mocked, and crucified on a cross. The last thing on their mind as they're hiding in the room, afraid of the Roman leaders and the Jewish leaders trying to hunt them down and kill them, the last thing on their mind would have been this, this weird, strange thing that Jesus said during Passover. But then, but then that Sunday morning came when Mary was the first to proclaim the gospel and she said, he's risen from the dead. And he, he wasn't there. And they felt the scars in his hands and they saw Jesus and they embraced him. And, and there was this moment of, of joy and celebration and he ascended into heaven. And then it was after that that I think one of the disciples said, you know what? Do you remember that time we were celebrating Passover with Jesus? He did this strange thing with the bread, with the cup. You know, that makes a lot more sense now. It means so much more now. And this time of communion became a time of dedication, a time of devotion, a time that, that was central to the early church's worship. In Acts 2.42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Along with the apostles' teachings, this was something they devoted themselves. In Acts 20, it says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. What I get from this is that there is a biblical precedent that when I'm going to be gone, I'm preaching till midnight. That Sunday before I leave. That's, that's what I get out of this. But no, look at the first part of that. Look at the first part. Put that first part of the verse back up on there. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. Like this is the reason they gathered was to break bread together. We, we talk about it often and we'll say things like, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we're able to gather together to worship, to praise him. Christians around the world are able to gather together publicly underground, regardless, or able to gather together because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we'll celebrate that as the reason we're able to gather, to gather together. But they said, no, 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 no. This is the reason we are gathered together, is to break bread. Do you hear the difference? It didn't just allow them to do it. This was why they gathered, was to break bread together. Now, we need to be a little cautious here. Because it's very easy to come to worship on Sundays, to take communion because this is what we do, because it's so important, and we lose the meaning and significance behind it. In 1 Corinthians, Paul gets word and he hears that there are some in the church in Corinth who aren't taking communion in the right way. In fact, it's causing more division in the church because some of the, some of the believers are eating together and having communion together before other people come, and it's causing this division in the church. Some are actually even getting drunk with this time of communion and gathering together. And Paul says, do you, do you not have homes to eat in? Do you not have homes to drink in? And he calls them out for it. And 
In 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For as often as you drink this bread, eat this bread, and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. It was about five years ago we had just finished the egg hunt here at church when my mom gave me a call. She said, hey, your dad was running the half marathon this morning, and he collapsed 100 yards from the finish line. And because he was so close, the paramedics were there, and they were able to get to him pretty quickly. They had to bring him back twice on their way to the hospital. She tried to tell me that I didn't need to worry about coming. There wasn't anything I could do. I don't think I've made that five-hour trip any quicker in my life. I don't remember what they told us that Sunday morning, but I remember being even a little bit more anxious than I was before. I think they said that they were going to try that afternoon and bringing him off the breathing tube, seeing if he can breathe on his own, or, or something along those lines that was just a little more anxious than I even was prior. But what I do remember is some amazing, well-meaning people from my parents' church coming to the hospital to bring us communion. There hadn't been another season in my life that I've done more praying than I had that weekend. But I did not feel like I was in a place to take communion. I don't know if there was a season I could point to where I felt as close to God as I, as I had that weekend or I was trying to. But I felt for me personally that I would not be taking communion in the right way with the right heart if I had had communion. Now maybe for you, that was when you needed it. Maybe for you, that was when you needed communion, you needed to be with God, and, and maybe that's what you needed, and, and that's okay. Because communion is so incredibly important. But if your heart isn't right, then you need not take communion. If you had a giant fight with your spouse on the way to church this morning, and maybe there's starts of some mending that relationship that needs to happen before you take communion. If you have something against a brother or sister in Christ specifically and you're holding it against them, then, then maybe you need to go make that right first. If there's unrepentant sin in your life, then, then maybe you need to repent and apologize and ask for forgiveness from God and maybe even the other person that you've offended and sinned against before you come around the table to take communion. Listen, I'm not saying you don't take communion. I'm saying your heart has to be right first. Because when we take communion, we declare the death and resurrection of Jesus until he comes again. And there is such meaning and importance and value here that we have got to examine our hearts first and make sure we're taking communion with a clean heart. 
This is why we pause every week and give you a moment of reflection before we have communion. This is also a main reason that drove the decision to put communion immediately following the service or the sermon because I wanted my mentality as I preach to be leading us to the cross. Because it's not just the reason why we're able to gather, it is the reason for our gathering today. And so today we're going to take communion in a little bit of a different way. We're going to take communion as a family together. Someone from the band or the band's going to come up when I pray here, and there's going to be some music in the background as you reflect and look at your heart. But then I'm going to come back and I'm going to read what we see in Scripture when Jesus told his disciples to, that he was breaking the bread and to drink of the cup, and we're going to do it as a church family. And if I could encourage you, if your heart's not right this morning, don't take communion yet. This is one reason why we're probably going to, we're going to stick with these individual communion cups for quite some time, because if your heart's not right this morning, then I want you to take that with you. And I want you to be right before God and then find a moment where you can take communion. Because it's not about just going through the motions. It's not about mindless obedience because it's all about relationship. And it's about love. It's about the love between us and the Father, between us and each other, being in relationship between us and the Father and, and each other. It's about obedience, and if God is putting on your heart this morning to go make it right, to go seek forgiveness, to go clean your heart, then do that first. Father God, we are so grateful for the example you gave us of your heart. The obedience that you displayed, the relationship that you had, the love that you had. God, I, we, we are so grateful for that. We pray in this moment as we examine our hearts that you will impress on us the need to come before you and to recognize the death and resurrection of Jesus and point out any area in our life, any area in our heart that isn't where it needs to be. Lord, if we need to get something right first, I pray that we will go make it right before we partake of communion as a family together. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.